Church, if you could please open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we're continuing through this amazing letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And as you turn there, I want to open us up with a little story. There were once three little pigs. These three little pigs built three houses. Their mom kicked them out. They said, you didn't go to college, you have to get out on your own. Very responsible mother. They went and built their houses. Well, the first little pig built his house out of straw. I think that was the first one. Then wood, which is the last one. What's the last house? Brick. Excellent. Fantastic. So straw, sticks, and brick. But then something happened. Who came along to the house? The big bad wolf came by. And what did he do? Did he come in and drink tea? That's right. He blew the houses down. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think those first two houses stood up? No. Why? They're not strong, right? But the third house stayed up. What was the third house made out of? Brick. Now, let me ask you this, since I'm having a conversation with the children over here. <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you think the first two piggies knew that a wolf was coming when they built their house? They probably didn't, right? If they knew a wolf was coming, what do you think they would have done? They'd have made it stronger, right? Even if it took longer, even if it was harder work, they would have worked harder and done the right thing. The perspective in this story is everything. It's everything. Our main idea this morning is similar. A proper perspective of judgment motivates Christian faithfulness. A proper perspective of judgment motivates Christian faithfulness. If the pigs had known that a wolf was coming, they would have all built the brick house, but they didn't. Because, well, this is easier, or I have the materials now, I don't have to wait but if they had known that a wolf was coming, they would have gone above and beyond to do what needed to be done the first time. Hopefully you're at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. To give you a little bit of context, the beginning of Paul's letter, he states the first and probably the most foundational problem in the Corinthian church, division. He points out where it came from, why it's bad, what are the things that feed this division, how do we need to think about it and take care of it. And then he gives some analogies to kind of drive his point home. And the first analogy that he gives is of a field. And these workers that go out and they plant in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3, and they plant and they water, but God is the one who gives the growth. Well, this week he moves to a second analogy related to our illustration this morning. He's going to talk about the church as a building and the teachers of the church as master builders. So hopefully you're at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to invite everyone to stand together for the reading of God's word, just as a reminder and a physical posture, declaring to God, we recognize this as your inerrant, infallible word to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Church, pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask you to illuminate. Illuminate your word. Cause it to shine into our hearts. Cause us to see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Take your word and plant it deep within us and build your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So the analogy here goes from 10 through 17. I won't read it again. We just read it. But as we're looking at the analogy of a building as opposed to a field, I want to bring your attention back to the first analogy to see what the point of the second analogy is. The first analogy with the field, that point was that different workers had different tasks when it came to growing crops. One would go in and plant seeds. Another would come in and water. Everyone would kind of do their thing, but then ultimately it was God who gave the growth. So now Paul shifts his analogy to make a different point. And the key to understanding this point here is in verse 13. It says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. With the field analogy, Paul's point had to do with the division of labor and the unity of the team. They're all doing different tasks, and we might be tempted to judge each one based on certain results, but they're all playing a part so that the grand result can be accomplished. Now, it's the quality of the work being done and what standard of judgment is being used to weigh it. 
When we look at these verses, this word fire pops up. And it's popular imagery in the scriptures that often speak about God's holiness or judgment. Whenever Moses went and saw the Lord in the bush, it was in the form of a burning bush. As God traveled with the Israelites through the wilderness, he appeared in a pillar like a cloud, but then at night it was a pillar of fire. He constantly uses this idea of holiness and compares it to the word fire. And we see the same thing with judgment. In fact, because we see the word fire, but then we also see in this passage a reference to the day in verse 13. The day will disclose it. It points to judgment day. This is confirmed in chapter 4, verse 5, the last verse we read. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What is the time? Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 says this. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is affirming a truth that we see in James chapter 3, verse 1, when it says, "...not many of you should become teachers, my brothers." For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As the Corinthian believers are dividing over their teachers, they're likely dividing to a degree over how each teacher is building the church. I really like what Paul is emphasizing. Well, I really like what Apollo says about this. The only problem is we have to ask the question, who gets to make that judgment? Who's to say that something is being built properly or not? If you try to do work on your own house, I need, a, I need a receptacle here. I need power in this room. You may be able to technically get the job done, but later when an inspector comes in, he's going to look at that and say either, oh, great, whatever electrician you got to do this is fantastic. Or if it's in my case, he'll probably say, did you do this yourself? <laughs> to which I have to say, uh, yeah, yeah, I tried. I got to get it redone. Yeah, you got to get the whole thing redone. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Who gets to make the judgment call on what is done and how well it's done? It's an important question. Well, Paul answers it for us in our passage. The answer is God. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In the span of two verses, we see the word God five times. In every other verse in this passage, 17 other verses, you know how many times the name God comes up? About five times. So we've got God's name five times in 17 verses, and then we've got it crammed into these two verses here. God, 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 God. God is the one who owns the church. The temple is his. The point of this passage is that the church belongs to God. And if the whole church belongs to God, whose judgment determines how it ought to be built? God. 
In the Old Testament, God gave painstaking detail regarding how the temple should be built. And he no less cares how his church is built because the church we see here is the new temple of God. So this morning I've got three points I want to give us. The charge for us is to be faithful and I want to give you three reasons why. Judgment, the proper perspective of judgment gives us the right motivation for faithfulness. So how should we understand judgment in order to be faithful? Number one, we ought to be faithful because... Judgment implies a purpose and a plan. If we're going to be judged for something, that implies that there is something laid out that we can hold up to it as a standard, some type of a plan or a purpose that we will be judged in accordance with. Because God owns the church, He sets the plan. It's all according to His purposes. Therefore, God's judgment is what should inform our faithfulness. In light of that, let me give you a definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is conformity to God's purposes and plans. Conformity to God's purposes and plans. So if I see God's purposes and plans, and then I take my life and I conform it to these, I am being faithful. Whenever I look at God's purposes and plans and I take my life and I live in opposition to these things, now I'm not being faithful. What can happen is, subtly, over time, we began to place ourselves in this judgment seat. We slowly shift God's judgment. It's like we come up next to God and we slowly just start edging him out of the way. And our purposes and our plans can sort of take over God's purposes and plans in our lives. What this does is it distorts our judgment. It changes our motivating, our motivating desires to live in a certain way. We are not mindful of God's judgment. We're just mindful of our desires. The fact of the matter is, we simply don't have the right perspective to judge the work of the builders, using Paul's analogy here. The builders are working according to God's purpose and plan. Now, there's a warning to the builders of the church here. Verse 10, let each one take care how he builds. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God cares how his church is built. He cares about the materials that are used. To give you an example, Paul gives us what the foundation is in verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So everything the church does is to be about promoting and delivering and conforming to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation for the church. In the church, it's the gospel that changes lives. It's the gospel that sanctifies. It's the gospel that convicts us. It's the gospel that moves us outside of our walls, outside the walls of our church building to the community. It's the gospel that saves us. 
The gospel is the reason that we're all here this morning. We're here because we've been redeemed by the gospel. We want to give our praises back to God. It's all according to the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. We are a good news people. We get together and we sing about the good news of Jesus Christ. We hear proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. In our prayers, we're praying in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to share the good news. We want to conform to the good news, being more like our Lord and Savior. If that foundation is not laid well, what can happen is someone will come in later to start building, and one of two things will happen. They will stop building, if they're a wise builder, and go back and say, we got to fix the foundation first before we keep going. Or they'll say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I can adjust for that. And we make these adjustments. Well, if you have ever tried to build anything, you know that if you get one of those, if you get an angle wrong on the corner of a building or a square, every single one of your measurements for the rest of your project is going to be off. Every single one is going to be off. If you're off just by a millimeter here, but then a millimeter here and, a mil and then here just a little bit, well, before you know it, at first, that really didn't make a lot of difference. But I tell you what, down the road, it ends up being a couple of feet difference, and that makes a big difference, Right? Foundation is important. If it's not laid well, the rest of the building will not stand when a storm comes or trials come. So it has to be Jesus Christ. Paul's job was to lay that foundation so then these other workers would come in and build on top of that foundation. Verse 12, if anyone builds with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest. It says that the fire will reveal it. It will disclose it. It will test the work. So using God's word, the builders of the church are to build on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. And the hope and goal is down here in verse 17 that we would build the church into a holy temple that houses the Holy Spirit. So starting with the foundation of the gospel, everything is built with various materials, and each builder is looking at the plans and saying, okay, and they're building, and the idea is that we would grow into a holy temple pleasing to the Lord. Well, what happens if the builder doesn't build well? What happens if the ones living in the building look at the builder and say, hey, this isn't right? Here's what the passage tells us. When the builder doesn't build well, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What happens on that day? Verse 14, if the work survives, he will receive a reward. That implies that there is a reward giver. Verse 15, if the work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That implies that there is someone who takes away. So God is the one who weighs the work, and he weighs it according to his plans and purposes as they're revealed in God's word. The parable of Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 14, he gives a parable of the talents, and it really drives this point home. To the one who is faithful with much, much will be given. To the one who is not faithful, even what he has will be taken away. When it says that the builder will suffer loss, 
It doesn't mean that he loses his place in heaven. It says that he himself will be saved in verse 15, but only as through fire. It's like the idea of someone building something or like putting a firework together and they're pouring the powder and everything, but then something happens and it goes up and it blows up in your face and you've got like the cartoon marks where your face is black and your hair is blown back. That's kind of the image. You're still alive, but it's just, just by the skin of your teeth. That's the idea. Now, this doesn't just go for the builders. In verse 17, it says, If anyone destroys God's temple. So this, this idea of judgment isn't just for people like me or the pastors of the church or the Sunday school teachers or whatever other leaders of the church. If anyone thinks it right to correct what a builder is doing, that person must be real sure that their judgment aligns with God's judgment. Because if not, you are actively working against what God is instructing the builder to do, and God does not treat that lightly. I can say that as a builder because guess what? I have to answer for that too one day. I'm going to be held accountable to how I build upon the church. That does not mean that no one else gets to step in and say, well, I think some building is happening incorrectly, because guess what? I'm not perfect. What it does mean is, if I'm going to make any adjustment, it better be according to the plan and purposes of God, because he's the one i got to answer to one day. And if you were found to be working against that, you also will answer. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Those are hard words. That is a sober warning. I think about that often. It's his plan. It's his purpose. So it's his judgment that matters. That's point number one. Number two. Judgment implies position and power. Judgment implies position and power. It motivates faithfulness because judgment means there is someone in a position of authority and with the power to execute judgment. Look at verses 17 through 23. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. We've already seen that the temple belongs to God. Because the temple is God's, he is the judge. If the temple belonged to anyone else, they would be in the position to exercise authority. That makes sense. Think about when you go to work. Your work isn't evaluated by your fellow co-workers, though sometimes they step into that role and it's very annoying. We come home and we complain about it to our spouses or to our parents. 
But your work ultimately is not evaluated by your coworkers. Your work is also not evaluated by the manager at some other store. If I work at Ace, the manager of McDonald's has no sway over me. That's not my boss. Whoever owns that store is the boss. They're in the boss's chair. That's the one who is in the right position to cast judgment, and they also have the power to exercise it. If someone else says you're fired, that means nothing. If my boss says you're fired, i got to find a new job. They have the position and the power to exercise authority and judgment. So to drive this point home of who is in charge and who is not, Paul returns to the topic of wisdom. He says, in effect, starting in verse 18, don't be deceived. You're not wise enough to sit in the boss's chair. You're not. He quotes Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11. The wise think that they're being clever, but God catches them in their craftiness every time. He's like, oh, that's clever, except that you forgot about this. And then they fall into a trap that they've set for themselves, is how Proverbs describes it. Or Psalm 94. The wise think they have it all figured out in their mind, but God is literally a mind reader. We don't even have to speak. And he looks at us and says, that's not going to work. Trust me, that's going to be a failure. He knows these things. He knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are foolish. So in light of all of this, Paul returns to his main point yet again. Let no one, in verse 21, boast in men. God gives the growth. God gives the plan. It's God's purposes. God is seated on the throne. God is the one with power. So stop boasting in the builders when they are simply working according to what God has laid out. The builders are simply a gift from God for our good. The list in verse 22 gives us a short sample of verse 21 where it says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He's saying these things are small. Why are you boasting in these things? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, the present, the future, those things exist for us. And we all exist for Christ, and Christ is here for God. So if anyone's going to boast in anything, it needs to be the giver of all these things and not the things themselves. They don't have power or authority. Those belong to God alone. Number three, judgment implies pleasing the right party. Judgment motivates faithfulness because judgment implies pleasing the right party. If there's going to be a judge... I want to live in such a way that that judge is going to give me a favorable verdict. Well, who determines what the verdict is? The judge. So who do you think I want to please? The judge. Right? Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, 
before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So after giving the building analogy, Paul summarizes how the Corinthians ought to think about Paul and the other teachers and leaders. They are servants and stewards. They are servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. That's the teaching of Scripture, the gospel. They are following God's plan and God's purpose because they're going to be judged by God who has authority and power over them. And so because they are servants of Christ, because they are stewards of God's mysteries, what do they do? Verse 2, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. We may not all be leaders and teachers in the church, but we are all servants of Christ, and we are all stewards of God's word. And at the end of the day, we must all answer this question, was I faithful to God? On the final day, it's not going to matter how well thought of you were by other people in the church or the community. It's not going to matter how smart people thought you were. If you want people to think you're smart, just don't ever say anything. They'll think you're a genius. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't matter. The final day, what matters is the answer to this question. Was I faithful to God? Sometimes, and in fact many times, being faithful and being well thought of by certain people or liked are not compatible. It's just an unfortunate fact. Galatians 1.10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And if you want an example of this, you don't have to look very far. We see it here in the pages of Scripture. Our Lord Jesus Christ. His entire earthly ministry. We saw this all throughout the book of John. Jesus' emphasis and focus was, I came not to do my own will, but the Father's will who sent me. His desire was to be faithful above all things. And a lot of times this meant really aggravating the Jews. They were getting really aggravated at this guy because they loved looking good in front of people even though they were dead on the inside. And Jesus, in his faithfulness to God, exposed that. And they didn't like it. So what did they do? They killed him. Jesus warned us in Matthew 10, 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, that's like calling him the devil, Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? If they criticize Jesus, of course they're going to criticize you. Of course they're going to criticize me. Of course the culture is going to criticize the church. We should expect these things because Jesus endured these things. People are not going to approve of everything that you do as a Christian. People will not always be pleased with everything that you do. At the end of the day, those don't matter do you know why? Because people are not your judge. You have to worry about pleasing the right party. The one we need to please and have the approval of is God. Now, if I can have both, bonus. <laughs> I guarantee you, I will go for that every time. But if I cannot, 
Give me God's approval, not man's. Now, this is way easier said than done. You know why? Because God's judgment is not being exercised right now. I don't hear God over my shoulder saying, okay, good job, good and faithful servant. Keep going. Okay, good job, good and faithful. I, I don't hear that. I see the plan in the scriptures, and I'm believing it by faith and move forward. Unfortunately, we all make mistakes, but this is what all of us are doing. We don't hear God's judgment now, but do you know what judgment we do hear now? The judgment of the people around us. So it's easy to want to cave to these things because I'm hearing it now and I need to respond to it now. This is especially hard for those of us who don't like for people to not like us. It's difficult. I'm one of those people. I don't like people to not like me. This is hard. But listen to Paul's words in verses 3 and 4. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. As big as it might feel in the moment, the judgment of others is, in Paul's words, very small. Their plans and their purposes are very small. Their position and power are very small. Even our pleasures, our own pleasures, my pleasures, are very small. When I have a moment of free time, what do I do? I might sit down with my family and we'll play a game or something like that. Do you realize how small that is in the grand scheme of life? All of these things are very small. Regardless of how heavily or frequently people judge you, you will not ultimately answer to them. God is the judge. And because God is the judge, because of God's judgment that doesn't come until later, verse 5, do not pronounce judgment before the time. When Jesus returns, he will weigh all the work that was done in the building of God's building, the building of God's church. That's when we will hear our commendation from God or our condemnation. Let me give you two real quick practical applications. Number one, in light of this, because judgment motivates faithfulness, because God is judge, number one, pray for your leaders to be faithful. What is required, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I'll, I'm going to be very transparent and selfish for just a moment. I covet your prayers for my faithfulness. If you're going to pray anything for my family, please pray for faithfulness in the ministry. This is really all that matters. Everything else here is temporary. My health is temporary. My wealth is temporary. God's church is eternal. Faithfulness to these things is of utmost importance. Churches in America have fallen into this trap of wanting a famous leader more than they want a faithful leader. Sometimes you get both. A lot of times you don't. If you turn on your television and see a TV preacher, there is a decent chance that there is something wrong with this ministry. Not guaranteed. There are many faithful TV ministers. But there are a lot of phonies out there too. 
Usually when someone tells me, I would argue probably most of the time, when someone tells me I watch this preacher on TV, more times than not it's someone that I know is a heretic. Usually. Not always, but usually that's the case. Now maybe someone else will have a different experience. That's not my experience. Sometimes you get both, but a lot of times you don't. So if you're only going to get one or the other, ask for a faithful one. Ask for a faithful one. From a church leader to the church that God has called me to shepherd, my faithfulness is the prayer that I desire most from you. Please, do not place me or any other leader in this church in between faithfulness to God and pleasing man. Do not do that. In the words of Hebrews 13, 17, that brother will not work with joy, but with groaning, which doesn't do anyone any good. That's the first one. Pray for your leaders to be faithful. Please, please pray for that daily. Number two, aim to please God daily. Aim to please God daily. This means becoming acquainted with God's plans and purposes. This means becoming acquainted with them in such a way that I am ready to go out and to submit to them because I understand what it means to pursue these things. It doesn't mean just having the knowledge of like the Ten Commandments. I know the Ten Commandments, great. And then you go out and just live whatever way you want. I know Jesus' commands, great. You need to know them in such a way that I'm ready to act on them today. This means after you have time in the Word with God, after a Sunday morning sermon, you go home for lunch with the family, you dialogue together on, okay, well, what are some of the things that hit you in God's Word today? Okay, great, so what are you going to do about it? Because it's different for all of us. God has called all of us to faithfulness in an infinite number of ways. For me, one of the ways that he's called me to be faithful is in the preaching of his word. So that's what I'm seeking to do right now. But he hasn't called you to be faithful in the preaching of his word. He's called you to be faithful in another area. For some of you, he's called you to be faithful in your parenting. For some of you, he's called you to be faithful in the community as you seek to serve and protect the community. For some of you, he's called to be faithful going to nursing homes or packing Operation, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. He's called us to be faithful in any number of ways. I can't tell you what ways those are. You have to go to God in his word and commit yourself to it and say, okay, I know it and I want to please God according to it. What might this look like? Set a reminder in your phone. All throughout the day, I get about 10,000 notifications on this thing. There's one right here just since I've been preaching. I don't think I ever look at this phone and there's not a notification up there. But you know what? I skim through them and look at them. On the Bible app, I've got a reminder. I never read the Bible on the Bible app. I have my paper Bible. This is what I want to read. But you know what the Bible app will do? They'll send you a verse every day. So you know what I did? I signed up for it. I'm like, okay, sure. Click it. I don't even have to open the app. The notification comes up. It says a scripture. I usually recognize it. And then that scripture is in my head for the next couple of hours as I'm thinking about it. Set a notification on your phone, a reminder. Set off to go daily, high priority. Please God today. Set it to go off twice or three times a day. After lunch, then goes off. Oh, somebody text me. Oh, please God. I'm fixing to have to talk to a coworker about something. I'm glad I read this just now. Set something, get a little note card, write down, please God, put it on your bathroom mirror, get in your car, tape it to your steering wheel, put it on your dash, stick it in your Bible as a bookmark. Let it be the first thing you see when you open God's word, the last thing you see before you close God's word. 
Find a way to make it your aim to please God daily. And remember this, pleasing God is only possible through and because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of faithfulness to God and pleasing God in his life. He died for us precisely because we can't do either of those things. When we turn to him, he simultaneously forgives us of our unfaithfulness and empowers us for faithfulness. So I'm not just forgiven for being a failure. I am equipped to be able to live as a faithful servant of Christ. That is a vital part of the good news. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can actually pursue faithfulness in the here and now. So church, work with all your might to be faithful with your life. So that when you meet the Lord, the judge face to face, you might hear these words from Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have revealed to us in your word, your plans and your purposes, your position of authority, your power of exercising that authority. Thank you for revealing to us in your scriptures what it is that you require of us, what it is that we can do to please you. Would you help us to be faithful? Equip us with everything we need through your word and through the Holy Spirit to live in faithfulness daily to you. Lord, equip me as a builder of your church to be faithful, to build with good materials upon the right foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that on that day, the work will not be burned up. Lord, please continue to build your church. Use us to do so. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.